you pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we've always been in the metaverse. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. It's been a crazy last month or so. I hope everyone enjoyed Daniel coming on and guest hosting last week. And of course, we had a couple weeks breaks before that. But now today we are finally returning to a sense of normalcy here in the midside. Of course, as much of a sense of normalcy as there can be because we always focus on farce here, so there's not always a lot of focus on the normal. Although maybe there's a focus on the new normal. But I'm excited because this week we're not going to talk about COVID at all. So maybe that will be the only COVID mention, although we'll see what my co-host says here in a minute about his experiences because he is still out in California. So joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Good morning to uh, those of us uh, joining the stream. There was a bunch of people joining. So, uh, yeah, things are going good, man. I enjoyed my week off. Was out uh, f- traveling for a wedding. I'm traveling next week to Texas. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Spent a couple days uh, for work out in Austin. Um, planning on eating uh, lots of... Uh, Perfectly healthy uh, barbecue meats while I'm out there. You qualify that perfectly healthy as if they wouldn't be perfectly healthy. <laughs> well, uh, they're they're perfectly healthy in the sense of like uh, it's the meat itself is probably not the problem, but uh, I'm sure I won't be able to re- resist the temptation of all the uh, delicious sides that will be provided. So, oh, all the the loads of carbs. That's one yes. of my favorite things about barbecue. Is it's like <laughs> here's a whole bunch of meat, and you're like awesome, and they're like, oh, by the way, all the sides are carbs, and you're like, <laughs> exactly. wait a second. No, <laughs> so I'll try and resist the urge, but uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's been. Really uh, interesting uh, Halloween this year uh, so far. Uh, lots of people out and about, uh, which is always a good sign. Um, people are actually planning parties here in California uh, and actually attending them, which is uh, uh, that's got to be a big change for us in uh, California. Uh, in fact, I'm looking forward to uh, poker night tonight. So we're actually going to have some, play some poker and uh, hopefully there'll be some trick or treaters in costume. Will you be playing in costume? Uh, maybe I will put on my hockey sweater and pretend I'm a hockey player if I need to. That sounds like a low effort costume. Uh, yeah, low effort costume is uh is my stripper name. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we are recording this episode on on Sunday on Halloween. If anyone is wondering, so uh, let's head into life on the midside where we're going to talk about some scary stuff. <laughs> As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so. Th- do so. Do so. Is that like 
next to Tucson. Uh, do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode and Locals is per month. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. William, the first thing I wanted to, to talk to you about this week is something involving pop punk. And it's sort of interesting to me that it's it's taken this long to get to all time low. And I'm also interested in if you've heard of it or not. Uh, so a while ago, it was a few years ago, people tried to cancel a bunch of bands. Like they tried to cancel Four Year Strong because of their tour manager was associated with another band. And in that band, they had had problems where somebody had been accused, accused of sexual assault. And this had happened to a number of bands. I was just mentioning Four Year Strong because that's the most notable for me. And the basic idea is online, young girls talk about their experiences with these bands. And it's been over the past 10 years. So a lot of these these band members were, were pretty young themselves. And... Now they're all trying to say that, you know, this is all sexual assault, sexual misconduct, whatever, whatever terminology you want to use. And it's finally hit the band all time low. And I wasn't even aware of this because I'm barely on Twitter, but I, I went on Twitter and the band released a statement. So I just want to read the statement because there's a there's a funny element to the way this statement is written. William. The allegations being brought against us are absolutely and unequivocally false. When a TikTok video gained traction a few weeks ago alluding to inappropriate behavior within our camp, we chose not to respond because of the glaring inconsistencies in the story and the apparent reluctance to mention us by name. We felt that a response would have elevated and escalate an outright, escalated an outright lie, and in doing so robbed actual victims of abuse of their very real and very important collective voice. We believe victims. We stand with victims. We've only ever wanted to cultivate and nurture a culture around our shows and band that is welcome, welcoming, healthy, and safe. It is with that in mind that we have to state with outright certainty that what is being said about us is completely and utterly false. We are investigating further the source of these false accusations, and we will be seeking legal recourse as we take these allegations very seriously. With that in mind, we want to say again, we stand with victims and always wish to amplify the voices and stories of those who have suffered abuse and trauma. But we cannot and will not fuel or amplify lies that only cloud and distort the true stories of those who need to be heard and represented. We appreciate and truly never take for granted the platform that you have granted us by supporting our band and us as individuals over the years. We cannot overstate how much we respect and cherish the sanctity of this fan base and the connections we've made with, with you through the years. With every year that goes by, every show we play, every individual we meet along the way, we are so thankful for the growth that stems from this connection. We have only ever sought positivity and wellness for those who have ever crossed our path. Throughout our nearly two decades spanning career, we are so fortunate to learn and grow alongside all of you. We will continue to listen and do everything in our power to nurture and support a healthy and safe environment around all time low. It is difficult and disheartening to have to make this statement knowing that the allegations against our camp are completely unfounded and false. But at this point, it is of the utmost importance to us that you know we hear you, we stand with victims, and we stand collectively for truth. So, William, before we get into where these accusations came from 
and, you know, the issues with social media and these type of accusations. This statement is a complete failure, is it not? What do you think? Uh, I think they stand with victims. <laughs> do they, though? Do they stand with victims, though? And people <laughs> replied to this, right? And I, I hate to be like, oh, look at the, 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 the replies, but people replied to this and they were like, tell me again how you stand with victims, but you're saying all the accusations against you are false. Isn't this the catch-22 that all of these people are getting themselves into, which is enabling these type of accusations to happen? You can't stay. You stand for, what is it, collective voice. And that you believe all victims. What does that even mean? Yeah. And then expect to be able to speak out against this and, and, and say these things aren't true. Isn't that an internal contradiction? Yeah, it absolutely is. And so you, you had asked me uh, if I'd heard of this. And yeah, I actually saw someone, someone on YouTube was commenting on it and commenting on the statement and how it doesn't make any sense. Um, and that was sort of led me down a little bit of a rabbit hole to kind of poke around and see what exactly is going on. And I still can't see what exactly is going on. Like, there's no, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of, uh, of Twitter threads, like you said, claiming things. But there's, this is the issue with uh, these kinds of accusations is that you don't know how to sift the truth from the falsehood from the fantasy. And this is just, like, this statement is not helping that, right? Uh, I mean, in a way, it, they got the the lawyer part out, meaning, like, hey, like, don't defame me. Um, if this didn't happen, if you're just making this up, we're going to go after you. Okay. But then that makes it sound like you're against victims, I guess. So it becomes that catch-22 again. Well, right. And, th- and that's that's the exact problem. That's why I'm saying it enables it. And and to answer your your question as to where this is coming from, I went down the... I went down the, the, the Twitter rabbit hole here to figure it out. And you're right. It is Twitter threads. It is. They, they mentioned TikTok. Uh, they mentioned or they didn't mention, but it's also Tumblr. Right. All of these places are where the allegations are coming from. And the number that's being repeated is 97. So. You know, the way I am when I see something and I go 97 allegations, I got to know where that's coming from. It's the same thing, you know, people say about Deshaun Watson. Oh, there are 22 allegations against him, so it must be true. And you hear 97 and you're like, well, holy crap, 97, they must have done something. Someone, Let me guess, someone someone count, and please, I know someone's going to take this in and, 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 and a negative light, but someone, someone just, uh, this is just someone counting the number of like, uh, like, fantasy posts right like of people pretending like they did this right like they went backstage right like that's a whole genre of writing right someone just accidentally clicked on like a uh, uh, erotica link of like banned fantasies and counted the number of times someone wrote about all-time low and said that was true i mean right? you're not too far off from the truth so this person whose twitter account is i'm being honest to the number two screenshotted somebody named at diet soda sage And this person said, I've counted 97 allegations against them. If 97 people aren't enough, then I don't know what to tell you. And the second tweet that was screenshotted here is, there's a lot on Tumblr, and a lot of them are spun in a positive light like, OMG, Jack complimented my boobs. Wow, cool. When the poster was 14 at the time. This doesn't even mention how old Jack was, right? So not technically an allegation, but it absolutely counts and belongs on the list. 
And then another tweet by uh, I'm being honest. I think I define it. Here we go. Yeah. And the user counted, quote, I was happy to sleep with Jack as allegations because of the abuse of power. I get that, but we also can't use that as a baseline number. Once is enough, but please stop using that number. So this is part of the problem with these communities beyond, right? We can go into William on and on, like you were saying about the fan fiction. We can go on and on about the anonymity. But another problem is these communities are so singular in their worldview that things get amplified that don't deserve to be amplified. You can't say abuse of power as if because one person is more powerful than another, that is necessarily sexual abuse and add that to accounts of attacks of sexual abuse. If someone's a groupie, right? I'm not saying I agree with the behavior and I'm not saying you should sleep with someone just because you're a fan of them and that groupie behavior is healthy. But there's a difference between unhealthy psychological behavior and sexual abuse or sexual assault. And that's what's being confused here. Yeah, having, I I guess, is all, I guess in this worldview, and we're trying to reverse engineer it, uh, all groupie sex would be abuse of power. And it would all be sexual assault because it's sleeping with someone who wouldn't want to sleep with you if the conditions were different. But that's exactly the point. The conditions aren't different. That is reality. So it's necessarily an anti-reality. So I guess if you're a rock star, you can you can only have sex with people who aren't fans of your work. That would seem to be the implication or who would have sex with you, even if right. We've heard this before, right? This is this actually you just drew a direct line, William, to James Taggart and Atlas Shrugged. Love for, I don't want to be loved for anything. I want to be loved Loved for for me. anything, exactly. Who are you, (laughs) right? Isn't women wanting to sleep with people or men wanting to sleep with people? I mean, let's talk about Rihanna, right? We talked about her being one of the newest billionaires in the world. Isn't part of what makes Rihanna so attractive, not just her physicality, but that she is a billionaire, that she's so talented and successful, so for someone wanting to sleep yeah, with her absolutely. for that reason, would that be an abuse of power on her part if she slept with someone who admired her for those reasons, but she had more money and power then? I don't know. So she could she could sleep with Jeff Bezos, but that would be abuse of power. On Jeff Bezos's part. But she couldn't... Yeah, but she couldn't sleep with, uh, I don't know, uh, pick someone, uh, the garbage man, because that would be right. abuse of power. I mean... It, is Giselle Bunchenden committing sexual assault against Tom Brady because she makes more than him and is more powerful more on a global than, uh, yeah, scale? That's true. Has more power. Well, and yeah, I, but does, does she have more power, power in the U.S.? So how about New England? So if Tom Brady is in New England oh, or Tampa no. Bay, it's sexual assault <laughs> it's against geographic. Giselle. But if Giselle's in Brazil or elsewhere in the world, it's sexual assault against Tom Brady. This is complicated. <laughs> I need a. We're gonna need an app to track this. <laughs> this is like. It'll have to like buzz when you exactly reach the right amount of power, right? And uh, your power level is it has to exactly match the other. It's person. like uh, were you? I, I think so, it might have been. It was either you or Elliot was showing when we were in Disney. We were talking about Grinder. It might have been both of you, and how you can tell around you who's gay because you know the they'll pop up in proximity and you can start looking around. Do you remember that conversation? 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. the same thing here. Like, it'll pop up who around you you're allowed to sleep with because the power dynamic is within the equal level. This is going to be very precise. <laughs> uh, I'm sure uh, the metaverse, uh, uh, Facebook meta will uh, will have a nice meter next to your face in the, in the new metaverse <laughs> so that you can know whether or not you have the right power level. Uh, okay, so, like, let's try to brush all this bullshit aside. What is actually being, like, are there any actual accusations here? Or is this just, like, an echo chamber? Well, that's that's where we get into the, of... uh, the anonymity problem. There was one, uh, there was one, I think it was a Twitter thread screen capturing post from somewhere else where this, this girl posts uh, anonymously about how she got into a abusive relationship with Jack um, of all time low. And it started with like, Oh, you know, when I was young, he would meet me and my mom and be nice to us. But then I started going to shows by myself. And then when I did, I would go backstage and we would drink and do drugs. And eventually I became, you know, a drug addict and I became, you know, basically addicted to him and it became super toxic and I tried to cut it off, but then he would email me and, I would still go to the shows, even though I knew it was bad for me. And it, it's just sort of like, it, it, it's really hard, William, to have a conversation about that sort of story for two reasons. One, it's anonymous. So as you were saying, you can't tell how much is fictionalized or not. But two, if someone's not willing to take responsibility for his or her, her own choices, it's hard to tell how much of that is actually what was real. And what I mean by that is, isn't it possible that they were in like a friends with benefits or hookup relationship where he knew that whenever they went to her town or where she was or if she followed the tour, that he could do drugs and sleep with her and drink with her and that's what they would do? I mean, it's in the realm of possibility. How how other people rewrite, yeah, rewrite relationships in their head is is amazing. The ability of people to do that is absolutely amazing. So, yeah, without any details, where or and complete anonymity, and I, I take it people just don't like this guy. Is that really what it's about? Has there been rumors or accusations about the past? Are we? Was he? Uh, you know. A rock star womanizer back in the day, right? Where that wouldn't have been, you know, no eyebrows would have been raised. And now we're trying to just cancel him for, for the past. Is, like, what is going on here? This is the best way I, I, I would say it. I would say two things. One, we see there's a history of when someone gets famous, what's the way people exert power against them? They try and tear them down, Tumblr. right? They try and cancel them down, <laughs> right? Tumblr, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever. They try and tear them down. We've seen this over and over and over again with other people, right? But pop punk is a scene where bands tend to get big when they're young. We're talking about coming out of high school, college years, right? 20 is where they get big. It's not often that a band like Newfound Glory is as popular as it is and can sustain itself as much as it can in its late 30s, early 40s. That's not what pop punk thrives on and never has. 
So All Time Low, as they said, has been around for 20 years. I remember seeing them on Warp Tour when they were coming out of high school. Yeah, yeah. So you present young guys like that with a platform where women are throwing themselves at them. Is it a surprise that they would be sleeping with a lot of them? To me, it's not. And also, you know, All Time Low, whenever you saw their shows, was always a band where they always had a large female following more than most other pop punk bands. Like when you go to newfound glory shows, it's never been throughout my whole life. And William, I don't know, maybe you can speak to your experience with it throughout my whole life at newfound glory shows. It's never been like a lot of young, cute girls. You know, it's not even like good looking guys. Like you go there and it's like, they're all kind of a little uh, on the, on the, on the look scale. Right. There are some good looking people, but I'm trying to contrast that with, with all-time low where it was always like, you know, I remember going to like the masquerade in Atlanta in like 2007 and mm. being like, am I at a sorority party right now? It was all-time yeah. low, Mayday Parade, the main, <clears throat> they were on tour, right, together. And it was all like... All-time low, I was always like, I, I'm going to say it felt like 90% girls yes. and women. Like it felt like that. It might not have quite been that high, but as a contrast to other bands, yes, uh, it it just felt that way. Right. I mean, people used to throw their bras. Remember, they yes. would hang the bras off the microphone yes. stand because women were throwing their bras up there. Right. So, and they would always yeah. the jack and ass. And they were like in high. They were in high school and, and like they had just left high school. I think right when I was at that concert. Right. That. And Jack and Alex were always seen as really good looking and women would talk about how great yep. they were and awesome. And they would make perverted jokes on stage. And nowadays we're not allowed to do anything like that anymore. So, yeah, oh, yeah. you can look back on that. <laughs> and you can go, oh, our culture's evolved since then. They didn't know. Now, I don't think there was any problem with the jokes they were making or anything. They were just joking around and they weren't saying anything like horrible. Like they weren't making jokes about rape or anything. They were just making jokes you make at parties or with friends when you're in college they were doing they crowd were. work they were doing yes. like sexually embarrassing crowd work right right like i could definitely hear them saying oh nice boobs to someone in the audience right, right? like that would have masturbation been something jokes. they would have worked into yeah, yeah yeah they would they would joke around about that stuff right so it's just i'm surprised it took so long for this to happen all time long. look to me william at this point this stuff is random and what i mean by it is i think we've talked about this before in the show this could be done to pretty much anyone. And it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting when it catches on with certain people or not. Well, I guess what, what's, uh, you're the, you're the publicist. You're the, uh, you're their manager, uh, all time low. What, you're a professional writer. Justin, what, what should the response or statement, if any, be when this, uh, storm brews, this algorithmic, uh, storm brews? Well, and that's that's my question strategy-wise. I'm to the point now... I'm to the point now that... I'm, I'm wondering if it's even worth acknowledging anything if it's on Twitter, on TikTok, on social media at all. Only acknowledge these things if it becomes a real-life issue where people are coming up to you at your shows and everything and talking to you about it. They're asking you questions in interviews, right? And that's part of the problem is how serious like Rolling Stone would take 
social media. They would take it too seriously. But also only if, like, legitimate charges are filed in court. Like, Deshaun Watson has an issue because a lawyer is doing it. And a lawyer is saying charges are going to be filed. And there's investigations underway. And the FBI is supposedly involved. Deshaun Watson has to figure out how to deal with it at that point. But here... It, it, this feels to me like they're indulging rumor, rumor and innuendo and gossip. And it's just that gossip back in the day, these kind of conversations never happened on a on a, a stage, on the public square. It would just happen in conversation. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was trying to think back. Like, I don't remember. It's been too many years. I mean, 20 years is a long time. Um you know, what was the scuttlebutt around the scene at that time, right? Because everyone knew which bands you could get backstage, right? Which bands were messing around? Which bands would have, you know, would party, right? Like, everyone knew. Well, it certainly to... wasn't the straight-edge bands. I mean, look, this is why, not to get on my high horse here, which <clears throat> well, leads into the next article. Hold on. Some of the straight-edge bands would hang, though. They would like, hang, you could go yeah. backstage and hang. Yeah. Right. And we, you would know who was friendly, who was not, who yeah. was... Creepy, who was not like those things were known, right? But th- that's what I'm saying with the whole straight edge thing, though. William is the focus on the hanging versus all the extracurriculars. I mean, that's why straight edge was created to begin with. It, it that's yeah. that's what I mean. Where all of this stuff has existed in our culture forever, but now we're giving up these extreme names and we're trying to destroy everyone, and we're not dealing properly with what's going on psychologically. But, you know, well, I feel like we've talked a lot about a story that we have no facts about. We don't know the age of the victim. We don't know the age of the perpetrator. We don't know where it happened. We don't know when it happened. Uh, all we have is a uh, the equivalent of a fan fiction plot uh, summary. Correct. Right? Yeah. And, I, and again, I'll have to say, just like in the statement, I stand with victims, or whatever the phrasing was. I, the 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 issue here is I stand with truth, and if someone is really been victimized in an actual way, not the oh they have power and I had sex with them and I now years later I don't I regret it, not in that sort of way, in the actual you know sexual assault way, then there's a way to deal with this, and it's Twitter may not be the place to adjudicate this. All right. Good final thought. Let's move on to the next story, which is related in the straight edge sense. The transition is we're not properly dealing, in my opinion, with drugs and alcohol in this country either. So the headline for this article is weed is the jock's best bud. Don't believe it. Ask a jock. And this is from the Daily Beast. Is weed your best bud? No. Well, that's what I'm going to talk about. First of all, I don't know. Oh, okay. Like, I don't want to go into a personal attack on the writer and ask what a jock is or not. Like, to me, that's the, the, the simplest, basic, most boring way of going about this article. Let's look at the, the article, the argument this person is presenting and express what our thoughts are on it. I'll give you my problem with it. So I'm going to read the last four paragraphs. They're not very long paragraphs, but I just, to me, this is like such a fucking joke. It's it, to me this is excusing wanting to use cannabis, weed, whatever you want to say, CBD as a crutch. Throughout my research for the book, I heard my own story and those of so many others. 
Again and again, it was the same narrative. I hated exercising my whole life. Then I tried it with cannabis, and it became wonderful, the best part of my day. Like most Americans, I saw exercise as a painful chore and remained a sedentary pack-a-day smoker with a bad diet and a drinking habit until the age of 30. But when I began using 10 milligrams of edible THC before my runs, I found myself doing it so often, I began enrolling in 10Ks, marathons, and eventually ultra-marathons. I was never competitive, rarely had training or health goals, and never talked about it to friends or social media until promoting this book forced my hand. It was my own hedonistic enterprise, a secret vice like pornography or Marvel movies. I mean, before I even read the last two... It, it, this to me, this style of writing is so deceitful. He's trying yeah. to imply that we find something moral to be immoral, and we make it so people can't talk about it. He is passing the blame for his own issues to the general culture at large because he doesn't want to look inward, so he externalizes things. According yeah. to Rachelin, our ele- evolutionary reward system is what makes activities like sex, sleep, and eating food particularly salt, fat, and sugar, so gratifying. Exercise has the potential to be among that list, but a variety of factors, bad diet, stress, body dysmorphia, sedentary lifestyles, have divorced us from this ancient system of pleasure. It's not a panacea for all people in all circumstances, but a moderate dose of cannabis, in my case edibles, but plenty of athletes enjoy smoke or vape, can be just the ticket into a fantasy world of cardio comfort. He literally says fantasy world, William. Lost in the disconnected from reality. Lost in the hypnotic rhythm of each foot slapping a mountain trail or the meditative bliss of skiing through fresh powder or simply a brisk walk through the park on an autumn evening. He's not a brisk wasp. Yeah, he's not a brisk wasp. Perhaps with a little pig floyd on the headphones. William. So, so go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so I, I have to, I have to interrupt. There's a huge bait and switch in here too, because at one point, so we're talking about the evolutionary, you know, but there's an evolutionary psychology framing. Okay, cool. I'll buy that just so story. Um, the the there's a there's probably a kernel of truth in here, which uh, I'm trying to find it. They, they talk about how the the chemical, one of the chemicals that's in cannabis is the same chemical that you get when you're running, but you have to run for 30 minutes. And so, blah, 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 TLDR, if you got, if you, you could kickstart that, uh, that same emotional state by taking a small amount of that particular part of that compound. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that would be a great treatment to help folks, you know, learn to exercise, right? But the bait and switch here is, and therefore you should get high, to exercise, right? Do you see how that, that that's a huge difference, right? It's sort of like saying, uh, you know, steroids can, uh, uh, you know, help you recover from injury. And, you know, so therefore you should do steroids at the top, right? Or, uh, or uh, pain relief, painkillers can help you uh, if you injure yourself while exercising. Therefore, you should take small doses of painkillers all the time. Do you see what I mean? Like, there's a difference here. There's a bait and switch going on. I'm not describing it quite right, but there's a there's a huge bait and switch between running while high and saying, "Oh, I'm going to kickstart this, um, this, uh, this, uh, this emotional biochemical state." Does that make sense? 
Yes, and I, I'm going to build on that because you have you've honed in and on exactly what I'm talking about. And there's a great debate going on in, in the chat right now about this. And I'm going to address the points. So someone called us boomers, which I don't know. I don't. I think we're a few generations away from boomers. But I think I think, I think my parents are boomers. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he he said drugs are bad for you if you use them to escape something. I'm on board with that or evade something. And then uh, Midsider Lucid said they're they're not necessary for working out. And it, it speaks to exactly what you're saying, William. So this 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 article talks about uh, the chemical. What's the chemical at the front of this article? It's called anadamide. I don't know how to say it. But the idea is what you said. After 30 minutes, you get that... You get that runner's high, they call it, quote, unquote. And by the way, it's working out the high is, is I, now, I've never done drugs, so I don't know. But having seen the way people are on drugs and alcohol, I don't feel or act that way. Um, what working out allows me to do is relax more. I get some of my best thinking done. That's why I like listening to the Adam and Drew show while I'm lifting. But it also, it's a stress relief. And to me, what this <clears throat> is about is short-term versus long-term pleasure and short-term versus long-term self-interest. And what I mean by that is working out is the practice of engaging in long-term self-interest and long-term pleasure. You don't lift weights. You don't run to get the immediate feeling of eating a piece of cake, right? And that's, that's what it says here at the end. Right. It talks about I'm going to scroll back down here. It talks about our evolutionary reward system is what makes activities like sex, sleep and eating food, particularly salt, fat and sugar. So gratifying that statement in itself is projection on the author's part. Yeah. Right. I don't find eating that much sugar, salt and fat gratifying. There is a point where it's a tipping point where you eat so much of that or you sleep so much. That and you could even say it about or sex. Or you have sex so much. Right. Come on. Right. Yeah. I've never, I've never had that problem. You haven't reached that point <laughs> yet. Okay. No, yeah. I, I newlywed, newlywed joke. That's a newlywed I know. joke. But there are there, there is that point, right? Where if you sleep too much, you're like, I've wasted the day, or you, you lose your energy level, right? Because you're not teaching your system how to engage properly with energy. It's the same thing with food. You get to the point where you eat too much, even good food, right? You eat too much protein. But definitely you eat too much sugar. You eat too much carbs. And your body does not feel good anymore. And you know what? It doesn't taste good anymore. Dessert is not something you eat all the time. It's something you eat sometimes. There is value to it psychologically and nutritionally. And what this person is doing by using CBD or THC or whatever you want to use to jumpstart his workout is he is undermining his own ability to have delayed gratification and have a long-term strong psychology. He's saying if things are not immediately gratifying for me, they're not immediately beneficial, then I can't engage in them. And that is the that is what he's denying himself. He is making himself weaker because of that. And that is yeah. the problem with this I think mentality. There's a, there's a there's the addiction psychology habit sort of thing in this as well. Yes, meaning like there's an um, 
I know that you've probably come across this. I've definitely come across it. There are people who are literally addicted to working out. Oh, hundred percent. Literally addicted to running. Right. Right. To like to the detriment of their body. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Their social relationships. Um, all sorts of things. Right. Right. Like, working out is not a life. It. It's a lifestyle. And I saw um, yeah. Coach Scott Abel, a great fitness influencer. He's he's a boomer, but he's a great fitness influencer because he has that mentality. L- working out helps you live a better life. It should not be your life. Right. That's why I don't. I don't that's why I don't find bodybuilders. And I don't find the bodybuilding. I don't find bodybuilding as a as a sport interesting, and I don't find them aesthetically pleasing because to me it's, I mean, the, okay, it's what it's what Lucid just said in the chat. Pornography. This is equating pornography with a healthy sex life. Is this the same thing? Bodybuilding is like pornography to me, and working out is like a healthy sex life. Thank you, Lucid. That was a, a great way of putting it. Do you see that, William? Yeah. Yep. And I think I think it it, it comes back to the uh, uh, it comes back to the that addiction mindset. Like, there's a way. Like, I like sort of hacking your own behavior. You know, like recognizing, oh, you know, this will this will trick me into running, right? Like that 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 I like. You know, like I use stuff like that all the time to help me sort of gain my motivation for things that I wouldn't necessarily want to do, right? Like, uh, uh, or things that I want to do consciously but in the moment i may choose not to do for various reasons right like i like i like those sort of things so in the sense of like kickstarting you know a running habit or something i can see this making sense but the but because of that addictive loop right it seems like you're just setting yourself up for long-term psychological failure right if you if the only way you can do a habit consistently is if you get immediate pleasure out of it um that that seems like uh it's not going to work very well for you in the long term correct so i mean i hate running i hate running i love playing kickball i'm going to play kickball later this afternoon uh there's running in kickball well i don't i don't think running is (laughs) i mean sorry if we have any runners who listen to us Uh, sorry i don't think (laughs) our our three running listeners (laughs) well i mean i do coach cross i do coach cross country which is ironic but i i think no i think running is a, a young a young person's sport like it's it's tough on the joints, and I don't personally enjoy running. I, I think you're better off lifting weights and doing other type of workouts because nowadays, nowadays in reality, how much are we doing something that requires that much endurance? In that sense, right? We don't we don't do those yeah. things. That's not the kind of society we live in. Uh, um, yeah, and you can get you can get a a you a very basic line a baseline of endurance just from working out, just from lifting weights. I mean. Um, you know, as long as you're conscious of your heart rate, you can get a, you know, you, if you get your heart rate into that 70% range, it, it, you're, you're going to improve your, uh, endurance enough to have a healthy life. Right. And uh, in regards to what you're saying about a uh, jump starting or kick starting. So I think it's important to get to the point that whatever you're doing for long-term gratification for long-term benefit. I think it's important that you do that. Uh, You get to the point that you look forward to it. Or more importantly, if you don't do it, it feels like it's missing or your life feels worse. Right? I look forward to working out. But more importantly, if I don't work out for a week or two, I feel like my, my life is getting worse. That said, I do recognize the hardest thing, William, when establishing a new pattern of any kind is the first two weeks. 
is the first two weeks. Yeah. And you just have to, you just have to have that mental toughness where you say, all right, this is two weeks. We're going to work hard and we're going to get used to this. And then once we do, it'll be part of our normal routine and our body will have adjusted and our mind will have adjusted. It takes two weeks for your mind to get adjusted. But if you're relying on CBD or THC in this way, you're doing two things. One, you're delaying that. You are delaying that. You're making it so it never happens. And you're making it so that becomes part of your pattern, which that is the cycle of addiction right there. So I just, yeah. I, I think this example, this, this article is just someone who's weak-minded. Allow yourself to be stronger. Allow yourself to be stronger. Or as I like to always say, make the choice. This is what I say to all my students, my athletes. Make the choice. You're here today. Make the choice to be better. Make the choice to do the work. The more you make the choice, the easier it gets. But it always starts with making the choice. It doesn't start with, I'm going to take this substance. It doesn't start with, I'm going to find this person. It starts with, you just make the choice. And that's what they're, that's what they're evading here. That's what they're evading. Making the choice. And before we move on to the next thing here, I just want to acknowledge what uh, Chan Lar said. Uh, he was joking when calling us boomers. I know you were joking when calling us boomers. I know that, but it's fun to riff off of. So, all right, let me pull up the next article here. Oh, yeah, the next article I want to talk about, the next conversation, William. Uh, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter this week, but there was controversy over ARI's free books to teachers program. Now, this program, William, has been going on for ages, Ooh. right? Years, ages. Years, decades. Ages and ages. Decades. And basically, Boomer started this. Basically, when... A teacher requests Ayn Rand books, the ARI, the Ayn Rand Institute, sends it to him for free. And this guy, Hank Green, who has a, a blue check mark, I have no idea who he is, tweeted, The Ayn Rand Institute will give high school teachers however many copies of Ayn Rand's books they ask for. The result is about 400,000 copies of Rand's books going to American high schools for free every year. Now, there's two. Wait, is that the Hank Green? Let me click on the link. I don't know. Who's Hank Green? Hank Green, if it's. Uh, there's a, there's a YouTuber, uh, old school YouTuber, Hank Green. Let me make sure it's not that, but keep going. I okay. I have no, do my research. I have no idea who he is. So there's two things going on here. One, there's, it is, it is the Hank Green. Okay. Yeah. Well, John Green and Hank Green. Is John Green that guy who wrote books that became movies? Uh, who's Hank Green? Tell me who Hank Green is. I don't know. See, I don't know how to explain it other than a, a YouTuber. They have a whole bunch of different series, like educational series. Yeah. Things. John they're, Green they're wrote. The most famous one. Is, this is. is the he, most famous. He's related to Hank. He's related to John Green, who wrote The Fault in Our Stars. Yes. Yes. That's his brother. Okay. Yep. One's a scientist, runs an author. Okay. So the scientist is speaking on the author stuff and the author's not speaking on the author stuff. Maybe, maybe. You wouldn't think the scientist would be the one tweeting about Ayn Rand, the author. You would think the author would be. Okay, so basically this guy's a nobody, right? He just has a YouTube channel. And that's part of the problem with all this. This is what we were talking about before with the all-time low story. Like, this guy tweeted this as if it refutes an entire belief system, an entire system of philosophical thought. But then, objectivists 
felt the need to reply to him as if they could get their mic drops back to each other. And it's not even conversation at that point. It's just people tweeting things at each other that they think are shutting each other down. And it it's pointless. It's pointless. It doesn't, it's, it's so, it's, I want to say anti-productive because I don't know if I would call it destructive, but it's so non-productive, maybe non-productive, just a better word. It's so non-productive that it's a waste of time. To me, all this really is an example of is objectivists being hypersensitive about the words selfish, selfless, and altruism. This person is basically trying to imply that the ARI is participating in altruism, which is contradicting Ayn Rand, where it's not. William, if I enjoy, you know, a movie and I give it to you, that's not altruism. That's me sharing my value with you, right? Altruism would be like, oh, I'm going to buy you a copy of Black Swan and give it to you. And even then, like that movie is well made, you know, technically it's a good movie. But it's just like, if there was something evil and I gave it to you, that would be altruism, you know? But this that's not the discussion that's even had. So I don't know why, like... William, I am personally not interested in these words anymore, and I'm not interested with people who engage in these kind of mic drops and surface-level conversations anymore. It's, it's, it's not interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It is not interesting. I, it's, uh, I, I think it's something that drives that instant engagement, and maybe when you have as many followers as John and Hank Green do, it's just a, a, a thing you do to keep that engagement up, right? Gives people a way to inter, like you said, a surface level way to interact with your content to make sure you're getting lots of likes and uh, retweets. Right. And then same thing on the, on the, uh, you know, it's, it's hacking that, what you were talking about, the sort of like, uh, that surface level reaction from other people, right? Well, you know what people need to make a movie of William? Let's make a movie about straw men fighting straw men. Cause that's what it is. It's like if you take Pokemon, right? You know how Pokemon's like, I choose you, Pikachu. Like, social media is like, I choose you. And it's like you pick a random bunch of straw men. And then it's the straw straw man fighting each other. Like, there's there's got to be a movie idea or a story idea in there or something. All right. All right, but while we're we're talking about that, we're talking about authors. Uh, Go check out our Discord channel because uh, Midsider Lucid is dropping his stories in there. Uh, Him for the Romanticist and... De Anima, uh, a novelette. Oh. Lucid, why do you call it novelette and not novella? Well, what's the difference between those two terms? But uh, he's got them both for free on Amazon right now. So if you go to Amazon, you search for Lucid Fitzpractic, you can get either of those ebooks for free right now. So check those out rather than going to lead, lead, uh, read A Fault in Our Stars. All right, William, I'm going to let you take away this last story because you shared it. And I think it's it's fascinating that this has happened because I think it's a huge legal case. So why don't you tell everybody yeah. about the story that you 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 shared because I think it's huge legal precedent. Yeah. So this came. Uh, this was in the New York Times. Hopefully, it let, let me uh, load it here. But um, jury awards ten million to white male executive in discrimination case. So there's this uh, jury award for this uh, person, David Duval who was fired from his job at uh, Novant Healthcare in North Carolina in 2018. And um, so the federal jury awarded him this uh, $10 million uh, because basically what what was alleged was that he was fired and replaced by two women, one uh, person of color and one white lady, apparently. And the 
the like facts of the case, at least according to uh, uh, to the well, I guess to the judge because the judge uh, awarded the uh, the finding was that I think it was uh, the jury because I read some stuff where uh, he gave the judge or the jury gave ten million, but apparently people are saying the judge is going to knock it down based upon law to like five hundred thousand or something. Yeah. So he said he had a successful career in marketing public relations when the Novant Health hired him as a senior vice president of marketing and communications in 2013. On July 2018, they fired him without warning and ordered him off the premises immediately. So uh, Mr. Duvall said that his superior told him that his termination had nothing to do with his work performance and that he had done everything asked of him and more. Um, And he had been highly rated both internally and externally. Um, And so in 2018... By the, so the, the background of the company is in 2015, they made all this commitment to uh, diversity and inclusion. By 2018, um, uh, it, be, it had become a strategic imperative to rely on racial and gender targets to reshape Novant Health's workforce and leadership to reflect the community it served. As a result, Mr. Duval was fired and replaced by a white woman and a black woman, and other white men were also dismissed without warning and replaced by women or members of minority groups, his court documents said. So... Basically, they like they did exactly what the you know they they replaced him because they wanted to get that checkbox uh, picture on the about page for their for their company. So, it, this is uh, we know this is happening, and I think this is just such a blatant example that it actually got to a lawsuit. Uh, people being, I would say. In this case, this one is even more blatant because it seems like he was bought into it. He was, like, participating in some of the uh, diversity and inclusion, um, uh, you know, religious ceremonies. And they still fired him. Like, he was he was supporting the uh, this stuff and so far. What normally happens is they'll, they'll get people out that don't buy into the diversity and inclusion, right? If they don't, if they don't buy into this um, judge people by their skin color thing or their identities— um, then they'll they'll kind of push those people out of senior leadership. They, they, it becomes a uh, a purity test in order to be remain in senior leadership in companies. But this was way more blatant because here it seems like he was bought in, um, and then they're just like, well, the we can replace him with these two other people, and uh, that's what they did. So what do you think, Justin? What what do you think about this uh, effort? Uh, this uh, great example of diversity and inclusion in action. So. Here's the thing with this lawsuit and everything and, 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 and this behavior by the company. So it, it's good that if we're going to say you can't discriminate and you, you, you can't get rid of people for these reasons, that we're acknowledging that all races, all genders, everyone can be discriminated against, right? Just because you're a white man doesn't mean you can't be discriminated against, right? That's, that's good that we're acknowledging that. That's a fact of reality. However, William, my question is, Shouldn't companies be allowed to discriminate in this way if they want? Isn't that a natural right to say if we want that check mark on our website and we want to fire a white man for that, that we can do that? I mean, let's not even make it a white man. What if they have like a certain quota on their website and people quit and they need another white man? So they fire a just. I'll say this, a Filipino woman to hire a white man. Couldn't they, shouldn't they all have a right to do that? Isn't that a natural right? 
Yeah, I think so. It is illegal. Um, well, first, want to say that it is illegal currently, and I wouldn't uh, recommend anyone uh, uh, go against it. That being said, yeah, you should be able to hire and fire uh, whoever you want for whatever like, reason uh, you want, for whatever irrational or rational reason you want. Right, and uh, we should be. Uh, and at the same time, I can also call out and say that this is a really bad move. Right, you should not be picking right. people based on their identities. Right, and firing a high performer. Uh, because they don't meet your identity requirements. That right. seems very irrational. Maybe there is some rational context where this would make sense. I don't see one in this case. Well, what I will say I, about I, that, William, is in the example you gave, if you're firing a high performer because they do not fit your identity standards, then I would say you need to self-examine your own identity standards. Because if this is your chosen industry and business, and this is the type of person who is succeeding in it, you clearly don't understand your own person, your your own business, and you don't understand identity. Because this is yeah. a complex psychological issue. What is identity? What is high performance? What type of person succeeds in your business and what type of identity does that person have? We can't have this discussion when we create these anti-discrimination laws. But at least, as I said, we're going in the other direction and saying, well, if we're going to do it, we can't discriminate against anyone rather than trying to make it a protected classes thing. Yeah, I think the whole idea of protected class is this is how it will break down. Yes. Um, and because um, people will, the, the diversity and inclusion uh, religion will not tolerate it being used to protect, uh, uh, quote unquote, privileged people. And uh, and then the, the, the fact that it's on, you know, I'm all for discrimination law, anti-discrimination laws, when it comes to government, right? Um, when it comes to private businesses, I have questions, and uh, and and this is exactly why. This is this. There's no there's no way that um, these lawsuits are extremely difficult to bring if you are not in a protected class, and that in itself is wrong. Yes. If you're going to have this, it should be the same standard whether you're in a protected class or not. It should be very simple to understand why that needs to be the case. Uh, um, the to uh, the whole concept of being in a protected class is kind of immoral to me. I think the individual is the class we should be protecting. Yes. Um, and so that that you know the that whole concept is uh, first of all, it's not federal law, right? Because just by saying sex, you've already made everyone in a protected class. So yeah. But anyway. Well, what you're saying, William, is something we've always said here in the Midside, or at least I've always said. Uh, this is how social justice is undone, undone because it's a way of backing into individualism because the smallest class is the individual, as you just said. And that's what we're starting to see with cases like this where it's swinging back in the other direction. Now, while this may be a crack of, hey, this is the end of, of social justice, we've had a long history in this country of swinging between one form of collectivism and the other. So does this mean it's going to swing towards rationality and individualism? I don't know, but I don't think so. I'm, I'm waiting. I've, you know, we've been joking and, 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 and then increasingly it apparently manifesting this whole uh, thing as a religion, you know, this uh, die uh, diversity, uh, inclusion, equity as a religion. Well, you've been joking. I haven't been, yeah, I've been joking. It is a religion. Yeah. Like, 
Well, I think maybe in like 2014, 2015, we were joking about it, but it's, it's I was it's never, I was now. never a joke for I'm, me. It was never, I want to be clear. It yeah. was never, I may make fun of it and say it's funny because it's funny. It's a religion because it's a ridiculous religion, but I'm not joking yeah. that it's a religion. Yeah. Well, I, I will, I am waiting for, uh, the, and maybe I'm going to manifest it by saying it. I'm waiting for them to use the religious protection class for diversity and inclusion. In other words, uh, we need to have, um, you know, the 1619 Project in schools because it's our religion. That goes back to a different discussion where I don't have a problem with teaching things. As long as you're saying they exist, you're not saying they're true. Well, I, I was just picking I, I was just yeah. picking a random issue. Yes. Pick, pick any random issue and then them using that justification. Yes. It's the justification argument that yes. I'm, I'm waiting to see, yes. not the particular issue. Right. But that that has greater legal implications beyond the school system is the issue. Yeah, yeah, it does. All right, well, let's end. The, let's end the first segment there. Uh, just to follow up, uh, Lucid said a, nov- a novelette is shorter than a novella. At which case, then I go, what's the difference between a novelette and a short story? We're just going to start to get into where are we drawing the lines here. So let's draw the line with this segment and head into the hopeful bromantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to join the conversation during the week, you can do so by signing into our Discord channel. As you can hear on this episode, there's a lot of people listening live to the show on Discord and participating, and it is awesome. There's been great conversation during the week. I've really enjoyed the interaction. I thought the the uh, the workout slash CBD THC story was much better for it. So go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode, And within that episode post, you will find a link to join our Discord. Click on that. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you contribute. So before I do the review this week, I want to talk about some, I don't want to even say news, some information that was sent to me that uh, Zack Snyder did an appearance on a podcast. He did an appearance on a podcast and he said, William, he said a phrase that blew my mind that he actually said it. And it, it's just, he was talking about Rebel Moon, which is, we know that was his Star Wars pitch that he's turning into his own franchise for Netflix. And he was talking about how to classify it. Uh, they, the, the, the host was talking about the opening to Man of Steel on Krypton, which I've always said that that's a science fiction movie and you can see it framed that way through that opening 20 minute sequence on Krypton. The host was talking about that scene, and then Snyder responded to the host's comment. So, William, rather than me talk more, why don't you play the drop? That scene is the perfect example of what I talk about when I mean romantic sci-fi. You've got a world exploding, but the story that you're concerned with is father, mother, and son. Yeah, 100%. And that's kind of what we're doing in Rebel Moon, but on the biggest steroids that I can um, give it. You know, because like that, and, and that's frankly what I'm really interested in with this movie is is creating a sci-fi romantic sci-fi film on a scale and that that 
you know, it's hard. It, it, that, that, that it's just frankly as big as you can make a movie. Right. Uh-huh. And, and, I, and I think that that's, that's kind of the thing that I really, really makes me excited, you know, to, to tackle. William, he actually described one of his upcoming movies as romantic. All his movies are romantic. And we now yeah. we now have proof that he is aware of what romanticism is. And he has to. All these quotes we've heard from him in the past, he had to have been saying romanticism and romantic without saying that explicitly, didn't he? Yeah, he did. At this point, he can get away with it, right? He can say what it is because people are understanding it and recognizing it for what it is. And well, they need at least this they're giving it to him. Yeah, yes, exactly. And that's great that, you know, props to this interviewer. I believe he's part of the bro Bible for doing that. So, um, you know, much respect to him for doing that. I appreciate that. But it's just it's it's very interesting the way Snyder with his public persona and the way he talks avoids certain things just because I think people don't understand them. You know, we were talking earlier about, you know, selfish and selfless and everything. I think he avoids those words on purpose. I think the word romantic he avoids because people will confuse it with romance, right? Teaching it is hard. But, you know, the the interviewer did a good job of framing it as, no, we're talking about how this affects humans and their choices, right? We're not focusing on the world exploding. We're focusing on the human experience of the world exploding. That's what romanticism is about. And this makes me infinitely more excited for rebel moon the the scale he talked about the scope he talked about and calling it romantic sci-fi i am more excited for this than i am for army of the dead i'm more excited for this than i am for planet of the dead although planet of the dead taking army of the dead and putting it on a grander scale i think will make it uh more exciting so i think planet of the dead has a lot of potential to be better than army of the dead but i'm more excited for that for rebel moon and I would have to say that this week I'm not reviewing Army of Thieves. It's, it's not the movie I saw. I'm going to be watching it this upcoming week. So it, it should be the review next week. But this week, William, mm-hmm. before you read the outline, did you know what movie I saw? I did not. All right. Well, let's see if somebody in the, uh, in the, in the chat can guess it. <clears throat> well, it wasn't. It wasn't. We know it wasn't uh, Army of Thieves. I watched that this week, so mm-hmm. I'll be ready for our discussion next week. Okay, what, yeah, no what spoilers. Does the chat think? Yeah, what does William the chat said something think pre-show, which he's trying to play off as a joke, and I don't know if it is a joke. So I'm kind of. <laughs> I, I love the ambiguity where you're not sure. Yeah. But, all right. So the, the 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 movie I saw is Last Night in Soho. Last Night in Soho is uh, Edgar Wright's latest movie. It appropriately came out uh, Halloween weekend, and I'm not even going to bury the lead here. This is a so romantic movie. This is one of the best movies of the year. You need to see it. And and the reason you need to see it is for two reasons. One, I'm going to talk about the spectacle. This movie is a horror movie, but it doesn't start out as a horror movie, and it doesn't become that until the end of the movie. And by the time you get there, it's built up the horror so well that you get there, and you are legitimately terrified. You know, they, he try, Wright tries to do a couple jump scares, and, you know, I'm not a big fan of that, but the imagery and the psychological and philosophical depth behind what's going on make it horrific and make it terrifying and more to the more than just that the characters you care about you care what's going to happen 
And then the catharsis. This movie is about a small town girl in England who goes to London to join the Fashion Institute. And this girl is obsessed with the 1960s. She's obsessed with the 1960s because her mother died when she was young, so she was raised by her grandmother. She takes up residency in a upstairs apartment for an old woman. And this girl has these sort of powers, like she sees her dead mom often in mirrors. And in mirrors, she starts to see and then experience the life of a a girl who came to London in the 60s. And this could all very easily have been about social justice. And it very much could have been about how evil men are. But the nice thing about this, and I don't want to spoil the ending, but by the time I got to the ending and it was revealed what was going on, I was like, okay, this is much more subtle than a conventional horror movie and a conventional social justice movie. And this is a true horror movie. It's a true horror movie in that it's just showing evil and it's showing evil from all sides in all directions. And there's not really that many good people in this movie. You know, maybe you could argue it's not a horror movie truly because the hero, the main character survives and succeeds at the end. And, you know, the, the love interest survives. So maybe it's more of a romantic horror movie because there is that benevolence to it. But that's part of what makes it so interesting. This person stares true evil from all directions in the face and has to deal with it. And nobody else is helping her face that evil and helping her understand it or even understanding what she's going through. And as a movie that shows that experience and concretizes it, it excels and it is well, well worth watching. This is one of Edgar Wright's best movies. It's one of the best movies of the year. Uh, And if I had to describe it, it was, it was crazy to me as I was watching it. Like it's sort of Edgar Wright's sucker punch. It's like sucker punch meets La La Land. Cause there's a one, uh, there's one line in the movie, which I will leave you all with to contemplate seeing the movie is I think the main character says it at one point, but it's London is a bad place. Yeah, I think that the, Go ahead. The question I have is looking at some other reviews, I, I feel like a lot of people aren't getting it, and I didn't read any of the spoiler review, reviews, just spoiler-free reviews, um, and recognizing that, you know, without the, you know, I, I need to go watch it for myself. Um, but it seems like it's one of those, uh, one of those films where some of the character choices are questionable, and I think people aren't getting some of those choices. And so it's going to be interesting. I, I I can't wait to watch it and sort of judge for myself if if this is, uh, you know, because horror is not my favorite genre, right? So, uh, so uh, obviously your review weighs a lot in my decision of whether to whether to give the movie a chance. This, this look, this might be the best horror movie I've ever seen, and I mean that legitimately. I'm not going over the top with it. Like it's so well made. It's not horror nowadays is used to it's it's emotional and it's immediate, right? But true horror is long term. And the movie builds in that way. Like, it doesn't it doesn't start out as a horror movie. It starts out as a drama, as a psychological drama, 
where this girl goes to London and she's trying to deal with coming from a small town and going into this city where basically everyone is mean to her and everyone's corrupt and she doesn't know how to deal with it because she's this innocent person. And it's, it starts out in a very compelling way like that, showing the partying at the school and everything. I haven't yeah. read any of the reviews. I don't know what they said. I am curious. Uh, do you know what the Rotten Tomato score is off the top of your head? No, I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. I, I, I mean, I am curious about that. Maybe we can just Google it right now. Uh, I'm Googling it. Because I do want to know. I am sort of curious as to what you know people are saying about it. 92% by the audience, 74% on the tomato meter. So uh... Okay. So I would say that more people are understanding it than... Uh, the reviewers are saying, yeah. and I, 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 I do think there's kind of an axe to grind with the viewers because it makes things more complicated than men, evil women, good. It does. Uh, although I will say that it does require a little bit of thinking. I mean, I made the sucker. Yeah, punch a lot com- of the, a lot of the negative reviewers, uh, are like the film is not logical that the last act is illogical. That's like very much a theme. Yeah, so but, that's why I'm interested to see uh, see the movie for myself. I want to see that, this uh, supposed illogical. Right. That's why I don't want to spoil the twist, right? I yeah. use Sucker Punch for a reason. I think it's yeah. more malevolent than Sucker Punch because Sucker Punch uh, is not a horror movie, right? But it right. has a lot of the elements in there. It, it just instead of, you know, the performances being dancing, it has fashion as the art. So there's commentary on art and everything in there. But, I mean, there is dancing and singing in this as well. It, it, the, the performative nature of being a woman, the relationship between men and women, what men do for women, what women do for men. This is all in this movie. And you can very much see why. Look, I'm trying to say it without saying it so smart people can infer what I'm saying. You can very much see why if you got to the end of the movie, why you would say it's illogical if you didn't take a certain position. Does that make sense, William? Yeah, makes perfect sense. Okay. Interested interested to give it a chance. That's what I think they're saying. And the fact that 92% of the audience says it's good tells me that people get it. I think it's a little easier to understand than Sucker Punch, but tells me people get it. And it tells me that maybe this is another indication that things are starting to swing back. Excellent. Okay, let's talk about some movies that are going to come out now. I think I forgot this week to post the trailers in the uh, the chat in this Discord. week in Discord this yeah. week. Uh, so sorry about that. But usually I post them uh, in the in the in the in the Discord during the week, so you can watch them whenever you want and prepare for us to do trailer takedown. Trailer takedown. First trailer. The Wheel of Time is an Amazon Prime original series adaptation of the novel series by Robert Jordan. The showrunner is Rafe Judkins, who was on Survivor Guatemala and was one of the staff writers on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I Nothing stood out to me about this. It was sort of like they did it in the style of Game of Thrones, except it was a little brighter with a lower budget. There seemed to have been a lot of talking um, there was nothing in the trailer that indicated anything interesting about the plot, anything about time in the plot. Yeah. I know the wheel of time actually deals with time. None of that was in there. It was just kind of like, 
hey, we're going to do Game of Thrones, but it's going to be a little different visually. So the execution of this, and I haven't read the books, but the execution of this gives me no reason with the amount of content that's out there to seek it out. Tackle. Tackle. All right, so I have read the books, but maybe it was just I've read the books too long ago because I watched the trailer and I was just confused. I couldn't remember. I was trying to place things into buckets that I remembered from the uh, books, and I, I maybe like I said, maybe I just haven't read the books in a long time, so I've probably just forgotten most of the uh, characters and and sort of their connections and things. That being said, I shouldn't have to have read the books recently to understand what the hell is going on and i don't know what the hell is going on it seems like maybe there's five people and they're trying to decide something i don't know the trailer is just very confusing i mean it looks pretty it looks like a high production value so maybe this has a chance to to do something um i mean i'm glad we're getting i'm glad we're getting good adaptations and good here i mean good as in production quality adaptations i worry though uh about this um so I'm going to give it a very, very light hug. Hug. William, I can't Second wait. Second trailer. I know you're going to play the sound effect because you think I'm the one who stepped on it, but you are because you hit the button way too early. <laughs> you didn't wait a second like, to see if I was going to say anything. To... Okay. All right. Okay. You're still going to play the sound effect, I know, because I'm going to start saying my point now and then you're going to say it. But um, what I was about to say was, I can't wait to see the movie. Wait to step on it, Justin. I can't wait to. See... <laughs> I can't wait to see the movie where it's five people making a decision. Somebody needs to pitch yeah. that to a studio. Yeah, I have. No... You 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 think that that was the summary that I got out of? I had to watch the trailer twice, and I'm trying to remember. I was trying to remember the plot of the first book. And I was like, okay, so they're trying to decide. Yeah, I think I remember what's going on here. But like, just looking at the trailer itself is like, oh yeah, we've got five people. We're gonna find out who's gonna save the world. Okay. In costumes, they're in costumes. costumes. Yep. And some magic and some explodey parts. Second trailer. Deadlock is the latest low-budget Bruce Willis movie. In it, police come to his house to say his son was shot by police, and then he kills both of them. Then he. I think leads a terrorist takeover of some like the dam, the local dam. And I don't know what the hell he's trying to achieve, but then another guy comes in and it sort of becomes like under siege and die hard, except the other guy is the hero. I don't know. Look, this looks good and it's Bruce Willis. So I'm going to see it. But my relationship with this trailer was all right. I kind of get why he would kill the police. And that's kind of intriguing in this, in this day and age to do this movie. Wait a minute. Bruce Willis is the villain? Wait a minute. Does he have that scarf around his neck to sort of like take like the imagery of an Afghan Afghani terrorist and apply it to a white guy? Wait, this is like Die Hard or Under Siege except Bruce Willis is Hans Gruber? What is, what the hell is going on? So this trailer was interesting to me, but it's Bruce Willis, so I'll see this at some point. Hug. Netflix and hug. Yeah, probably. Yep, I predicted it. Uh, I don't know. I love guns. I love gun fighting. I don't know. This one was very borderline as well. Um, 
I guess if it's if something else, uh, it, this is a, a watching on the plane sort of movie. I think is what uh, what this one is. Uh, I, I liked how you described it as low budget. Like it seems like uh, we found this dam that we can film in, and so we're gonna make the plot about this <laughs> dam. Um, so that's kind of how they it went felt through. Like, but William, hey. they went through the stock footage, and they're like, "Man, this is a lot of stock footage of a dam overflowing. What can we write around <laughs> that?" <laughs> This seems like uh seems like one of those movies, but hey, we can have a paint by the numbers action movie with Bruce Willis and uh and uh I think it could be fun. So I will give it a light hug. Hug Third trailer. Black Friday is a horror comedy movie set in a toy store starring Bruce Campbell, Michael J. White, and Devin Sawa. As the name would suggest, it's Black Friday. And as the customers come in, the employees of the store learn that there is a zombie outbreak going on and they have to fight the customers back. Why no one has done this kind of movie for Black Friday before? I don't know. Black Friday seems like the perfect time for there to be a zombie outbreak. Is Black Friday in itself not a zombie outbreak? It's horror comedy. It's Bruce Campbell. It's Michael J. White. It looks like it's shot not to be realistic. It's shot in a more romantic stylization. William, I hope you predicted this for me. Hug. Hug? <laughs> Is it even a question to hug it? Uh, yeah, you know I'm going to see this. I love um, I love Bruce Campbell, and I love this kind of... Uh, this the, the comedy take on things and the way the... I, is he a bad guy or a good guy in this one? That's what it... Uh, that's how it, like it seemed like there was some there were some interesting choices he was uh interesting ways that things were shot and so like oh is he part of this or not I don't know if that's maybe a spoiler that I kind of figured out from the trailer but maybe that's just me reading too much into uh into Bruce Campbell uh Bruce Campbell's acting but uh yeah this looks fun this looks like a fun movie and yeah how did this premise not get made before I feel like it was probably a comedy premise uh for a while now uh but yeah I'll I'll definitely see this Netflix and hug. William, I think that in order to properly do this, you would have to have some ambiguity about who the villains are in the movie. Because, yeah. you know, as we've seen, as Snyder said about zombie movies, the real the real monsters and zombies are us because the collectivism the zombies represent, it reflects the collectivist tendencies in our culture. And you can argue Black Friday is partially the problem of management and these companies who have created this sort of zombie-like attitude in consumers on that day. Yep. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Final trailer. Lightyear is a prequel to all the Toy Story movies about Buzz Lightyear. I, I, look, this is well-made. It's sci-fi. I'm going to see it. But it's very confusing the way this fits into... The, the Toy Story world. So it's not voiced by Tim Allen, which is part of where my confusion comes from. Buzz Lightyear mm. in this movie is based on, or sorry, is voiced on, is voiced by Chris Evans. But he's a real astronaut. Except, is he a real astronaut? Because he's doing like super sci fi things in the trailer. So is this like a sci fi movie? That's being made in, is this a sci-fi movie in the Pixar world, or sorry, in the Toy Story world, that Pixar is making an animated version of in our world, to which in the Toy Story world there was an animated version of Buzz Lightyear, 
that was like Buzz Lightyear and Star Command or whatever was the series, and then there was the movie with Zerg, which then a toy was based on the animated show, not the original sci-fi movie that the animated show is built on. It's very confusing how this fits into the continuity, but stepping that aside because I hate discussions of continuity, this just looks like a good movie on its own. It looks sort of like if Pixar was like, how do we do a Christopher Nolan version of Buzz Lightyear? That's what this looks like. It's sort of like the Batman Begins version of Buzz Lightyear. So, yeah. hug. Hug. So, this is a movie, right? Just to be clear, and not a, a TV series? 100% a movie. Yeah. So, uh, that was kind of at first I was I, like, I was thinking, oh, would this be a TV series? No, it, okay, it's a movie. Um, yeah, this, I, the, I, I think that I think that this could be interesting in kind of world building the backstory of uh, Buzz Lightyear as the as the character from which the toy is based on. So I think people will like this, and I like good sci-fi. And it seems like it's well animated. Is the other thing that I wanted to mention, just from the visuals. Other than that, I think there's not much more to add. It, it just looks interesting, but it's also uh, my eyebrows are raised, which I can't really properly. Uh, uh, communicate uh, in this audio medium uh, because it sort of is confusing at the same time like what we're what we're really doing because Buzz Lightyear is such a recognized character so uh, yeah it, I think that if we can just take it on its own I think it might be a, a decent um, sci-fi animated series uh, probably better than uh, Below Decks uh, so I'm gonna hug it hug I agree with Chandler in the chat uh, in Discord, he said that he hopes Tim Allen gets a cameo. Uh, I was initially uh, extra confused because I thought maybe they got rid of Tim Allen as the voice of Bud Lightyear because he's problematic, right? We know he's right wing and we know he made Last Man Standing, which got canceled from ABC and picked up by Fox because of its politics. So I thought maybe it was Chris Evans because they got rid of Tim Allen. But yeah, I would at least like to see Tim Allen get a cameo because he's so iconic as Buzz Lightyear. That brings us to the end of the episode. What did we learn this trip, William? Uh, well, we learned so much. Uh, we learned nothing about all-time low, uh, but we did uh, learn that uh, I'm going to take an edible before my next run. Uh, Justin, what did you learn this trip? I learned who Hank Green is, and I learned that I don't care who Hank Green is. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. As always, if it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking to a microphone in my closet. I mean, it still is me talking to a microphone in my closet, but at least I feel less crazy about it. If you want to support us, there's any number of ways you can do it. There's the midside.com slash store where you can pick up a t-shirt. You can go to midside.com slash the cut and you can buy my novel based on a true story about what happened behind the scenes of Justice League. Fictionalized, that's what based on a true story means. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's Patreon or the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. That's how we keep the lights on. And of course, the number one way you can support the show is to tell a friend. Tell a friend how much you enjoy it. Tell a friend how much farce there is to witness and how we witness the farce by not only laughing at it, but showing how and why it's farcical and how to avoid becoming that way yourself. 
This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlazeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a spooky day. You got anything for the ending, William? I don't. <laughs> nope. All See, right, this I... is how a good show is. A good pod is made, everyone. <laughs> All right. Uh... I'm going to go watch some football. <laughs> everyone already so... left anyway. <laughs>